Ladies and gentlemen, in the red corner, hailing from the state of Nevada, representing the steam and wise guys, it's the always feared Vegas Odds Maker! And in the blue corner, the crowd favorite from South Florida, Mark Winning Picks Lawrence! And now, let's get it on! Against the spread, Winning Picks with Mark Lawrence! Hi, everybody. Welcome back once again. This is Mark Lawrence along with Victor King from King Carrillo Sports. Andy Isco joining us from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. And my good buddy Jim Feist from Jim Feist Sports in Las Vegas as we're set to go against the spread on this weekend's NFL playoff card. And, guys, if you can believe it, Victor, we're into the playoffs already. Where did the regular season go? <laughs> you know, I don't know how you guys feel, but uh, this first week, maybe the second week of January, there is a uh, – I, uh, I always get a big emotional letdown, right? The college football season is completely over. The NFL regular season is in the rearview mirror as well. And these last four or five – really hardworking months that we have put into our uh, publications are basically uh, done as well. So uh, for me, there's always a little bit of an emotional letdown right around this time of year. But guys, with that said, we do got to throw out some congratulations to start the show. And that would be to uh, the gentleman to my right. And that would be Mark Lawrence. We did print up the final standings of the playbook sponsored wise guy contest and finishing in a tie for first place was our man and my mentor mark lawrence very very nicely done he had the best winning percentage overall at 67 percent 24 and 12 ats with his plays also tied for first from the best bet contest also tied for first in the last four week contest so I know that you're a little disappointed that you didn't win the whole thing yourself. It ended up being a two-way tie between Mark and Ross Benjamin. But still, uh, Mark, very, very nicely done for the season in that contest. Well, thank you very much, Victor. Congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I was expressing to my wife, Colleen, uh, you know, you kind of cry over spilt milk. And when uh, the Miami Dolphins fell to Buffalo – you know, that opened the door for Ross Benjamin. Yeah. He got in there and he tied me. But, you know, the truth of the matter is Ross is a really good handicapper. He had a really good year, so I don't have any problem at all splitting things up with him. It was just a good season all in all in the Wise Guy contest, and I'm certainly looking forward to it again next year. You know, the funny thing is, and I'm sure other people, I know, Jim, you were in it, uh, Victor, Mark were in it. One of the things that I've learned over the years is that even though we have a few extra days to put the selections in, it's amazing how we get closer to the weekend and there are some many times I would say, gee, I really regret having used that in the contest because I had more time to study. But everyone's on the same playing field in that, and I'm sure a lot of us, a lot of the others as well, sort of sometimes say, I wish I had used this other play or something along those lines. Well, it was nice to bring the contest back. We, you know, we had, we were, we had it for 28 years running. Yeah. And then COVID hit, and we had to suspend it for three years. And uh, we are back in the saddle again this year. And uh, I think it'll be even bigger or better next year. So we'll keep all of our listeners out there, our viewers, and our Playbook subscribers in tune with the contest for next year. But meanwhile, guys, we've got some other better business on tap this week, and it's called the National Football League Playoffs. Uh, let me ask you this question, Andy. Was there anything that happened of teams that made the playoffs or did not make the playoffs that you thought was 
eye raising. I suppose when you take a look at the uh, long-term uh, retrospective of the season, and it actually surprised me when I checked into it this morning, the play of the uh, Houston Texans with a rookie head coach and a rookie quarterback. I was surprised at the great success they had throughout the season. I was even more surprised when that success was not as great as I had thought because their season win total was six and a half before yep. the season, which was higher than I would have recalled it because of all the naysayers and all the struggles that Houston had coming into the season with a quarterback. Now, we didn't know how the performance of C.J. Stroud, their quarterback versus Carolina's Bryce Young, the number one and two picks in the draft were going to uh, perform. But I was surprised by that. I was surprised at the uh, – I don't know who's going to win coach of the year, but I would say D'Amico Ryan's or uh, Kevin Stefanski of the Browns should finish 1-2 or 2-1 because what the what the uh, Browns did was tremendous. What, four starting quarterbacks throughout the season? They lose one of the best running backs in Chubb very early in the season. And then they have the uh, good fortune to be able to sign an old veteran, Joe Flacco, to play the last five or six games of the season, and he was brilliant. Although, although to be fair, one of the things I didn't like about Cleveland is that they led the league in the in giveaways this year. And I was originally going to say, well, you know, well, a lot of that was before Flacco, but Flacco actually had six or seven interceptions during his uh, uh, tenure. So it was the, the problem that I thought had been cured when I actually looked back and looked at the numbers uh, still to still plagued uh, uh, the Cleveland Browns down the stretch, but it was a tremendous coaching job. So I think those two teams more than anything else, I was not surprised by the Rams making the playoffs. I felt last year was a throwaway year with all the injuries that they had after winning the Super Bowl uh, the previous year against Cincinnati. So that one didn't surprise me. And I guess the major surprise was the play of the Philadelphia Eagles down the stretch as far as, and I'll have something to say about that when we, uh, when we get to that portion of it, uh, of, the, of the podcast. But that was probably the biggest surprise, especially considering that when they were they had played great competition in the middle of that uh, of the season that they were unable to show anything of their first half performance in those last three games, two against the giants and one against the Cardinals. That was a surprise. The overall collapse that they had after starting 10 and one. And the fact that going one and five in their last six games, it looked like a totally different team from what we remember last year and what we remember for those first 11 games this season. Well, uh, in response, Andy, I think to the Cleveland Browns leading the league in turnovers, I think a lot of that, or contributed to it was the fact that they did start actually five different quarterbacks this year, which uh, tied a record for men, that many, or in fact, it set a record for any team to make the playoffs starting that many quarterbacks in, a, in the same season. They were also banged up aside from the quarterback position uh, with a bunch of massive injuries. So I think the coach of the year comes down to whoever wins this game. D'Amico Ryans, you beat Kevin Stefanski, you get the award. Kevin, you beat D'Amico, you get the award. Uh, my feeling or my thought on that, but uh, I think they both did masterful jobs as far as that was concerned. Jim, what was your take on all of this? Well, you know, all of, there's a lot of guys on here that came from Cleveland, and I have, through my wife, they have big family there. So I do follow them quite a bit, as I do all the other teams, but there's a little bit more emotion with regard to the Browns. It's amazing what they, what they lost and where they are. And I want to know if Flacco's going to get a refund for buying the NFL package because he bought it <laughs> so he could watch the games. <laughs> now, yeah, now he's playing every week. But, uh, you know, they're throwing the ball like 70% of the time. So 
when you do that, and he's a gunslinger, he has a big arm. And uh, I remember a little story they said about him. When he was a little boy, his father brought a football home when he was just a little guy. And they he brought him a regular-sized football. And he handed it to him to throw it. And he threw it so far, the father looked at him and said, we might have something here. Because he can throw the damn thing, <laughs> like the whole football field. Of course, he's about six foot five or six. Big guy. Uh, they've had a remarkable season. And the coach, you're right, both these coaches, it is going head-to-head. Probably the winner of the game will win the uh, coach of the year. The do, they, do they vote for that you, before or after? All do a, you guys all do a lot of research on this. How do rookie quarterbacks do in playoff games? Not real well. We outlined it in the Playbook newsletter this week. Uh, it, you can go back, I believe it's since 2012. I think they're 34.9% overall to the spread. Uh, they don't do well. And you're going to combine that with the rookie coach and D'Amico Ryans. I think that gives Cleveland a huge edge in the football game. But you've got this revenge factor here for Houston because Cleveland went in there and beat them earlier this football season. But they didn't beat them. They trounced them. And that, by the way, was yeah. week 16. Right. Now, there was no uh, Stroud in that game, no. yes. but uh, it was relatively late in the season, as opposed to, for example, Tampa Bay having a revenge game against Philadelphia. They played in week one uh, or week two or th- th- sorry, three. Yeah, yeah but uh, Cleveland led like 34 to seven in that game at one point in the fourth quarter. And that seven points Houston had came on a punt return. They did absolutely nothing offensively. But like you mentioned, Andy, there was no C.J. Stroud. So obviously it's, the situation will be different this particular week. And I just wonder, Victor, what do you think? I wonder if uh, with the Cleveland Browns resting their starters last week, could that end up proving to be more of a, a rust factor for this team? Because they were really rolling along quite nicely. I, I don't think so because, uh, you know, multiple playoff teams rested their starters, if not in the first half, then in the second half last week. But, you know, you guys talk about the candidates for coach of the year. And, of course, that deserves uh, – us covering that topic, definitely. But there is the other side of the coin as well. You know, traditionally, this last week of the regular season ends with anywhere from six to eight actual coaching changes, right? They call it Black Monday when multiple cultures are fired the day after the regular season ends. And lo and behold, there are currently seven teams right now looking for a coach. You could probably throw an asterisk there in terms of New England as well. But the seven teams now, uh, the Titans, the Falcons, we got the Panthers, we got the Raiders, we got the Chargers, we got the Commanders. We just got the news today that the Seahawks will be looking for a new coach as well with uh, uh, their situation. And again, you can throw in uh, the Patriots as well, who haven't decided whether they're going to look for a new coach or sign Belichick for another year. But obviously there's a short list of hot coaches that a lot of NFL teams are pointing towards. But again, it is no surprise that once again, we've got seven to eight openings for teams looking for new coaches. Yeah, Black Monday took its time this year. Usually, you know, the rollout is three, four, five coaches that get the pink slip. And it was slow to get out this year, but uh, it's making it. As you mentioned, we do the podcast on Wednesday this week, and Pete Carroll was told his services were no longer needed. A little bit of a surprise. I think a bigger surprise was Mike Vrabel at Tennessee. Yesterday. Yeah, yeah, I think he'll get hawked up right away by, by somebody. See, I, see mm-hmm. I don't know how much of a surprise it is when you consider he had that great start 
uh, when inheriting a nice team and uh, they made the playoffs three straight years, AFC Championship game. But go back to this team that lost their last seven games mm-hmm. in a row to end last season when they were at one point in line for the number one AFC seed. And they followed it up with another uh, miserable season this year uh, where they struggled in games that they shouldn't have struggled in. So uh, Vrabel, I don't know if he wore out his welcome, but certainly his departure can be defended by taking a team that had been a strong playoff contender and really uh, with guys like uh, Derek Henry there, uh, Tannehill for a number of years, and, of course, the emergence of, uh, of, uh, of Will Levis this year. Uh, I could certainly understand uh, the, uh, the departure based upon what he had accomplished and what he had not accomplished the last uh, two to three seasons. Hey, you're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. We're talking about the upcoming NFL football playoffs. And with that, guys, let's set the table for our NFL game of the week. We've got a pretty good football game on tap for our game of the week. When the Miami Dolphins take on the Kansas City Chiefs, rather than in balmy Miami, they're up in freezing Kansas City. Victor, how do you think that'll affect the over-under total in this football game? I'm a little bit surprised by the way the line is going in the game. And um, if you're interested, we already have King Creole over under selections on the website. Two games for Saturday currently. We'll throw up the Sunday and Monday selections a little bit later in the week. And you can access those plays at uh, pb.buzz slash VK for our Saturday selections. Again, the game opened at 43 and a half. Uh, it's hit 44, which obviously is the number one key number in the NFL. And the last time I looked, it had crept up to 44 and a half. And uh, sharp totals players know that that half point, man, oh, man, that's a key point. I mean, uh, I just concluded our wrap-up of the NFL. And uh, once again this season, the average points per game was at uh, 44.8, excuse me. 43.8 points per game. So, again, for the second year in a row, basically, NFL games average just about 44.0. And, again, we know that that is a key number. Uh, we also know that uh, in the three outdoor games scheduled for this weekend, there could be some nasty weather in two of those games in Buffalo and here in Kansas City. Uh, it does not look really, really good. Now, obviously, we're talking Wednesday. We've got another, oh, geez, three or four days before the game is actually played on Saturday night. But uh, frigid, 10 degrees at kickoff, uh, 10 to 18-mile-an-hour winds, feel-like temperatures well below zero degrees. Uh, I know a lot of people are saying it could be the coldest game of all time for either franchise. We're basically talking Arctic here. Uh for me, it's easily bet the under or lay off the game. You know, believe it or not, and you know, this surprises a lot of people, Kansas City was tied for the number one under team in the NFL this season. Wow. At 5-12 and 12 over under, Kansas City games only averaged 39.1 combined points per game. Obviously, they're not that explosive team on offense that we're used to season and seeing seasons past. And they've been tremendous strides on defense this particular season. So, again, Kansas City was not only the tied for the best under team in the NFL, but they were also tied for the best home under team this season at 1-7 over under 38.8 points per game. Uh, a couple of things from the database. 
Saturday games are historically a little bit lower scoring in the playoffs than Sunday games. This is a Saturday game. Uh, I took a look at, uh, we break down the NFL playoffs by division. AFC West division home teams have gone 5 and 19 over under in the last six years when the OU line is in the range of 35 to 50 points. Um, Kansas City, of course, concluded the regular season with that dog win against the Chargers last week. Another strong 5 and 17 over under pattern says that we play uh, playoff teams under the total off a road dog win in their last game. And one more thing, you know, I just concluded, guys, my uh, uh, chart, my explosive play chart for the season on defense. And, again, people are going to find this surprising, but Kansas City was tied for the number one least amount of explosive plays allowed on defense this season in the NFL. What's an explosive play? A run of 10 or more yards, a pass of 20 or more yards, and Kansas City was tied for number one, again, in least explosive plays allowed on defense. Guess who was tied for number two? The Miami Dolphins as well. So it's easy for me. Bet the under. Find the best line you can. Follow the line move. Track it on up. Make sure you're at 44 and a half or higher before you make your move. And we're going under in this Chiefs-Dolphins game uh, in frigid Arctic Kansas City on Saturday night. Great explosive stats there, Victor, on, on both of these football teams defensively. And uh, before I turn it over to the other guys, uh, what's a little bit ironic in this game is both teams each rank in the top 10, both offensively and defensively, overall, statistically. And both teams are tied for the best in the stats overall record this year, 13 and 5 in the stats against all opponents. So on paper, this looks like a pretty nice, little, even little matchup here. The only problem that I see in the game here is Miami is really, really uh, disappearing in games against quality opposition. Uh, you look at what they did in the stats or in, in regular games, one and five against the fellow playoff teams. But then again, Kansas City wasn't any good against other fellow playoff teams this year as well. So somebody has got to step up to the plate in this football game. Jim, who do you think it is that steps up in this football game? If, if Miami was healthy, which they are not, um, you know, they have, they have some finesse players, Waddle, Hill, et cetera, that, that seem to be fragile in certain situations. They're not the toughest team. A lot of people say they're a soft team, but they can score a lot. And now you're putting Tua in a situation where he's going to have to throw the ball in very poor weather. I don't know that he, he can do that. And, now, on the other side, you got Kansas City. We know Mahomes is there, and he's fantastic. But the wide receivers have been absolutely awful for Kansas City this year. They drop more balls than they catch. And none of that leads to thinking this is an over. So I'm with Vic. I don't understand at all. With the weather report and all the statistics that you both pointed out, who the hell is betting this game over and why? <laughs> well, you know, one other thing I can throw onto that, uh, and this was uh, really, really unnerving if you're a Miami Dolphins football fan. And uh, nothing, I don't think that's surprising because as Miami fans, we saw this all season long. Mike McDaniel gets thoroughly outcoached in the second half of football games. He does not make any adjustments. 
what he did in the first half is the same game plan that he rolls out in the second half. We saw it in the Buffalo game last week when he got blanked in that football game. And if you look at Miami's record against other winning teams or what will now be fellow playoff teams, only one time do they outscore opponent in the second half of the football game. So I think this falls as much on the coach as it does the players. And I know this football team is really racked with injuries. Uh, in fact, I had heard that there are 20 players that appeared on the injury report list yesterday for Miami. They signed five players that are not even playing. Three of them will be dressing up in Miami Dolphin uniforms this week, I think, just to fill out the roster here. Andy, what toll do you think that takes on Miami in a game like this? Yeah, by the way, I think the uh, list of 20 players uh, ended there only because they ran out of paper. Uh, it's a <laughs> team that is really sorry. And, and that's what part of what makes the handicap of the game difficult is we don't know the status of the, those key players, Mostert, uh, the running back, uh, uh, Waddle, the receiver, and even two is banged up a little bit. And, of course, defensively, uh, Chubb is out for the season, which hurts them as well, even though the defense has been great. In fact, uh, Victor pointed to the numbers. Uh, the number one team in yards, de defensive yards allowed this year was Cleveland at 270. Uh, the number two team allowed 290. That's Kansas City, which is really a surprise. And a lot, and, and they've been solid defensively really since the start of the season. It wasn't as if they suddenly woke up in week 10 and said, hey, let's pick it up because the offense isn't doing anything. Uh, but I, and, of course, I, I agree with the three of you. I, I look under in this game. These teams met back in uh, November. They played in Germany. In that game, it was a largely a pick'em game. Some places show either team a one-point favorite, and it was played like a defensive game. The only thing that uh, uh, that is negative about that is that neither team attempted a field goal. All the scoring in that game were by touchdowns. However, one of the touchdowns was a fumble return. The score was 21-14 Kansas City. Both quarterbacks, when you take out the uh, uh, the sack yardage, each net team's passing yardage was under 180, 174-175 for the two teams. Three for 12, three for 10 on third down conversions. Uh, you look at the, the fact that there were no interceptions in the game. Each team lost a fumble. And uh, the total yards for the game, I mentioned the passing yards, 292 for Miami, 267 for Kansas City. And the more important thing that I want to point out, the total in that game, and maybe that's why we may see, hopefully, a little bit of the total rising in this game, giving more value. Victor, you mentioned 44. 45 also is a, right. is a common number, 28, yeah. 17, 31, 14, things like that. 24, 21, yeah. Exactly. Uh, right. 50 and a half was the total in that game in Germany. That's come down a full six, six and a half points from, you know, where it was to where, from where it closed, uh, it, uh, in Germany to where it opened and, and currently sits. So I'm in agreement with the, uh, uh, with the three of you, as far as the under goes. And again, you, I, I think you want to monitor that line to see if there's a movement from that half point, if it goes down to 44, you probably have to act quickly. If you if it goes up to 45 and the public likes to bet overs, they'll look at the two quarterbacks and the, the offensive numbers and not as much. And they'll still say, well, you got two of the best offenses in the league. They're going to have some success against the defense. Well, they did when they met the first time on a neutral field. So uh, I look at that uh, from that perspective. As far as the side goes, I'm inclined to prefer Kansas City. Mark, you mentioned one of the key elements, the coaching advantage that Andy Reid has against most coaches, but especially against coaches that don't make adjustments for the second half because Kansas City is able to make adjustments in the second half. The health of Miami, uh, you probably see this line go up once the status of those key Miami players is, con is uh, 
determined to be unlikely or out. The line probably goes down if one or more of those players is considered to play. Nonetheless, I prefer the Kansas City side right now. I want to see where the number goes before committing to it. Uh, but uh, the one thing I am committed to, some people would say I should be committed elsewhere, but uh, to the under. <laughs> Everybody on the under, and I totally agree with that assessment as well. Well, uh, we have to remember Kansas City is the defending champ. Yes, they are. They go down easily, and the Mahomes and Reed have been there, what, four, five, six years in a row, and uh, they're not going to be easy to beat. Now, talking about totals, correct me if I'm wrong. I've never kicked a football in my life, but at that temperature, isn't the football pretty hard and it doesn't go as far? I, I don't believe it goes as far. I don't know how hard it is, uh, but it only makes sense. I mean, you know, I'm not a master of physics or things like that, but, you know, it seems like these field goal kickers do have a tough time in cold weather. Uh, what I'm also surprised about here, Jim, and uh, you guys is with all these massive injuries that Miami's incurring here and the fact that, they got beaten up pretty good by Buffalo last week. The fact that they're going to Kansas city where fish frozen fish never fare well. Uh, why, is, why has not this line moved any at all? I mean, it's just sitting right there at four. I think they're waiting for more clarification on those Miami injuries. You think so? Yeah. I, I think that, uh, you know, they're not ruled out. And uh, I think I keep seeing for those guys, uh, they're all questionable. So uh, as far as the football goes, I've heard some people say that kicking a, uh, uh, a football in those kind of temperatures is like kicking a rock as opposed to kicking a football when the, uh, the, the, you know, the physics of it, the, I guess the, the outside shell of the football hardens up or something. Uh, and you talk about cold games. I remember a game I was at. It was the year after the Jets won the Super Bowl. They faced Kansas City, and that may have been the first year of wild card uh, games, 1970. I think it was our 1969 season. And I think I remember the wind chill factor at the Shea stadium that year was like minus six and it never varied. Wow. Wow. I think your, your hot coffee froze before you got back to your seat. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, before we're going to switch over to the round table and, and bring our producer, Greg DePalma in here. But before we do that, uh, Andy's going to once I'm going to, we're going to review with Andy on the show here the finale of what happened in Vegas in these contests this year. And I know there's some big news about the circuit contest. Any, any, any other thing you want to report on these contests on the podcast live this week? Yeah, what I thought I'd do is, is just briefly recap uh, uh, the final results of these contests. We've talked about five of them throughout the season. I believe there's a link somewhere that uh, uh, the folks can go to where we talked about our, uh, our throughout the season, the contest tutorial, which allows you to, to access links that will give you more information about the uh, contest overall. So for those uh, viewers and listeners who want that, uh, that is available. We start each uh, uh each uh, week with the Golden Nugget contest that combines uh, football, excuse me, college football and the NFL. Uh, 153 uh, winners, uh, excuse me, 153 entries this year. The winner went 77, 45, and four. And by the way, in all these spread point spread contests, you get one point for a, a, a point spread win, a half point for a point spread push, zero for a point spread loss. Whoever has the most points at the end of the season uh, wins, and they pay X number of places beyond that. Uh, 77, 45, and four, which is 79 out of a possible 126 points. That's a 62.7 winning percentage, uh, one of the lowest in this contest because of the fact, as I stress each week, it doesn't include college football. Only five of the 153 entries managed to even hit 60% this year. That's uh, 3.3% of the entire field. The top 20 plus 
ties uh, actually collect. Now, places 11 through 20 in ties get their money back, their $1,000 entry fee. You make money if you finish 1 through 10. Uh, this year, uh, in order to cash, uh, there were uh, nine tied for the uh, final two playing spots at a 55.6% winning percentage, which is not that much above break even. But again, consider it was a tough year, only 153 entries. Uh, you needed to hit, uh, you needed to get 72 out of 126 points, 57.1% to finish in the top 10 and actually make some money in that contest. Uh, then each week uh, we take a look at the Super Contest and Super Contest Gold. The Super Contest Gold is the high-end contest here in Las Vegas. Five picks a week against the static point spread. $5,000 winner-take-all um, entry fee. 92 contestants this year uh, playing for $460,000. Uh, we do report on the consensus, the top five selections, five most popular. Uh, not such much sense to do it this year, although they did hit over 60%, but it's a limited number of entries. I'll talk about that one in the next contest. The winner uh, of the winner take all 57, 30, and three. That's a total of 58 and a half out of 90 possible points, 90 selections at five per week. 65.0%. That was good enough for a two and a half point win or lead over the second place finisher two people tied for second eight of the 92 finished at 60 percent or better that's just 8.7 percent of the field the uh the super contest classic the original granddaddy of the contest dating back to 1988 thousand dollar entry fee five picks a week this one we do report because 1301 entries makes up a significant uh, size of the field the consensus for the year outstanding 54 winners 33 losers three pushes against the point spread 61.7 percent that's outstanding for a consensus of 1300 contestants and their top five plays for many years and marking jim you know this many years the consensus didn't even hit uh, 50%. So for them to hit over 60% is really outstanding. Uh, the winner did even better than the consensus, as might be expected. 58, 27, and 5. That's a 67.2 uh, win percentage win uh, winning uh, rate. Uh, good enough to win by a point and a half. 66 of the 1301 finished at 60% or better. That's 5.1% of the field. Top 20. I used to, I was wrong during the season. It was not the top 30. The top 20 plus ties uh, cash in. Eight tied for 18th through 25th. 62.2% is what it took uh, to cash this year. As I mentioned earlier, uh, that's because the larger field uh, for the first 20 years or so of the contest, if you hit 60%, you'd be in the top 20. As the field grew following the ESPN coverage, they started to pay the top 30, then the top 50. And following COVID and the reduction in the playing field, uh, that uh, uh, went back to the tw top 20 and ties. Circa, the uh, newest kid on the block, gaining in popularity, the most popular contests in town, if not around the world, at least amongst the uh, legal contests. Uh, the Circa Million, based uh, on the uh, uh, the Westgate contest, five picks a week. Uh, there were uh, 5,274 entries this year, so prize pool would be over $5,000. But Circa, as it's done for the first four years of this contest, or the previous four years, guaranteed a $6 million purse. So it was an overlay for a lot of folks who uh, entered the contest on that basis. The consensus this year, the top five plays 51, 36, and 3. Works out to 52.5 of 90 uh, points, 58.3%. That's still a very good percentage for a, a consensus of more than 1,300 uh, there should be more than 5,200 uh, entries. The winner this year, outstanding, 62, 27, and 1. That's 62.5 wow. of 90 uh, 
picks. That's sixty-nine point four percent. Not a record in that contest, but still uh, not a record for a contest like that. I think there was someone in the high mid to high seventies who won the Westgate contest about uh, seven or eight years ago. Uh, that was good enough to win a uh, million dollars. That was the first place prize in the circa million. A win by one and a half points over the second place finisher of the fifty-two seventy-four entries. Two hundred and fifty-seven managed to hit sixty percent or more. That's four point nine percent of the field. This contest did pay the top 100 plus ties. Uh, there were 39 contestants tied for uh, places 77 through actually 115. So 38 uh, uh, con uh, contestants uh, finished uh, uh, cashing in part of that uh, uh, 24 uh, final paying places, 77 through 100. That actually worked out to they nearly doubled their entry fee. Each of those uh, 38 people, 39 people, excuse me, got $1,900 plus back for their $1,000 entry fee. In order to uh, cash uh, in that top, uh, what turned out to be uh, 115, 55 and a half or 61.7% to cash in that uh, Circa Millions contest. And finally, the grand, what's become the granddaddy contest in terms of uh, prize and a number of entries the circus survivor pick one team a week uh, straight up no point spread involved you can use a, a team only once contest consisted of 20 weeks as they split thanksgiving week and christmas week into uh two separate weeks resulting in 20 contest weeks and for the fourth consecutive year the four years of the contest uh, there were a tie for the uh, winning uh, uh, for the winners who went a perfect 20 and 0 had a winning selection on 20 different teams each week this season mentioned a few weeks ago when the contest was uh, the number of entries was uh, cut down from 10 to four when the Broncos lost the Sunday night game to New England. It reduced, it eliminated six contestants. Uh, there was talk of a discussion of chopping the remaining prize pool or the full prize pool, or at least a portion of it, something that had been rejected by uh, one of the contestants when there were 13 alive. He happened to be eliminated, I believe, in that Denver game. So the four people who agreed to the chop after uh, the uh, uh, the contest was reduced to four. Uh, they took out $2 million in two separate uh, agreements, and they ended up playing for the uh, $1,270,000 uh, uh, $1, that remained after taking out the $8 million. And sure enough, two players won in week 20 of the contest, week 18 of the season. Two had them, the Bengals, two had the Raiders. So the agreement to chop, while it was nice, did not come into play. And we'll see what happens next year when my estimate, my early estimate would be they're going to get 15,000 entries, a $15 million player. And as uh, Circa owner uh, and proprietor uh, Derek Stevens said last week with the $9 million pay, uh, pay, uh, payoff, maybe you're better investing in Survivor than Megabucks, which starts at 10 million. It'll be better <laughs> than that next year if you have it. As, as I mentioned earlier, the only thing that the only person can knock you out in Survivor is yourself. You can have a 70% success in the other contest where you pick the five, have a, a couple of people beat you with the size of the field. The only one that can beat you in Survivor is if you pick a loser. So whether you win it outright or you tie with others, it's uh, as long as you can go. And so far for the first four years, contestants have managed to go the full first 18 weeks and then 20 weeks the last two years. Well, Andy, I think when they chop that up, uh, the first thought that came to my mind is four people and they're going to chop it up. But there was a you said an extra one point two million to the to the ultimate eventual winner. Is that correct? Uh, 
Well, I think the original, I think they chopped up and each person became a millionaire. I think they went to 1.8 million after uh, week 16 when there were four left. After everybody survived the following week, I think they decided with just one week to go, they would increase the takeout to uh, from 1.8, if that number is correct, to 2 million. And that's my understanding. So that they were playing, they were each going to be two, two millionaires, uh, you know, or two million, yeah, two millionaires or for two millionaires uh, and they were going to play for one point uh, you know 1.2 plus million uh, it turns out that as uh, they all won uh, that that 1.2 million was also chopped four ways well it also helped pay for a little bit of the tax i guess yeah, I think the circuit did okay because they also got some money from some of those folks who hedged. They, uh, I think, offered lines of credit for those who wanted to hedge their bets by playing on the team against them. You know, obviously in week uh, uh, in week uh, week twenty, uh, they played two on the favored Bengals. They were seven point favorites, so a nice money line if you played Cleveland. And uh, uh, the two who played on the Raiders, smaller money line. And of course, if they had both, lo- if the Raiders or the and or the Bengals had both. Uh, uh, if one of those two had lost, two of them would have won their hedge bets and been eliminated from the 1.2 million they were playing for. If all four lost, they'd still have split the pot for the 2.3, uh, 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 2.2 750 is what they got, and they still and they would have won their hedge. So uh, I think that perhaps they may have been rooting for all four to lose because that they we, they'd win their hedge bets for those who hedged and still get the 2.3 million. Well, what a great year it was for the Circa this year, to say the least. And the popularity of the Survivor grows and grows. And like Andy says, we're going to see record-breaking numbers next year. We're going to do our roundtable here, but I know our friend Jim Feist has got a bug out uh, on us here before we head into that. And, Jim, I want to ask you, before you go, any thoughts, final thoughts you have on the football NFL playoff card this week? Well, I'm excited for it. I've I've had a very good run in the last month. As you know, I, my games are posted. And all my plays are at the site, pb.buzz slash jf. Now, the, I'm not surprised that anybody's there. It's been a, it's been kind of a marginal season with a ba- lot of backup quarterbacks. And Flacco is one of them. And then we have a rookie that's there, which these are unusual situations. Then you have the, the Tua and the, the ex the, the defending champion. That's interesting. And then you have up in Pittsburgh, you got Tomlin taking his team up to Pittsburgh to play in Buffalo in the weather. Um, you got the Rams with Stafford going back to a place where he played 12 years with the Detroit Lions with the quarterback that was tr- traded actually for him, although the Lions got a lot of other players as well. Um, unfortunately, um, Detroit played a lot of their starters last week and lost, uh, I think Laporta, I think his yeah. name is. Yes, yeah. he did. Yeah, the and, and that, that's a, I'm not in favor of coaches to do that. I think it's a, a rather dumb move when you, when you do something like that, because people do get hurt, especially after you played <clears throat> 17 games and practiced a lot. Didn't that really come into prominence when Warren Moon went down for the Oilers in the final game of a, of a meaningless meaningless uh, game. They'd already been in the playoffs, if I remember, about 25 years ago, 30 years ago. It's a long way back, but I think you're right. You, you, Andy, you usually are right when your memory is 100% most of the time. Like a trap door. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, the coaching, uh, you know, 
I'm surprised that Pete Carroll was let go. I'm not too surprised about Vrabel because I think there was some internal issues there. But there was probably internal issues in Seattle as well. We have these coaches that are in their deep 60s or 70s, like Belichick, and the game does pass you by. It changes. And we had the controversy at the beginning of the year where running backs weren't valuable. They didn't want to pay them. But believe me, the running back is valuable, as is the offensive line. We've got new thinking in the NFL, and I think it needs to change. It's still a game of a good offensive line, good running backs, and a solid quarterback with good, solid coaching. I mean, the game, you can change all the rules you want. They still have to play football. And we have some good teams in there right now. Of course, the favorites are the Ravens and the Niners, which could easily be a rematch of what happened a couple of weeks ago. And everybody talks about, oh, the Ravens smashed them. But in the first half, the Niners had 230 yards in offense in the first half. And they gave up a lot of points because of Purdy and the way he turned the ball over. Um, we can't forget that because the game was played differently in the second half where they really just gave up. But I'm very excited about it. I've been doing well. And like I said, pb.buzz slash jf, my, all my picks will be there. And I, most of us are heading forward into the NBA and the, the college hoops, which I am as well. I don't do a lot of NBA, some spot plays, but a lot of college hoops. That's Jim Feist from Las Vegas, one of the Sharps in Las Vegas. You can check him out online at pb.buzz forward slash JF. Jim, I'm going to wish you the, nothing but the best of luck this week. We'll look forward to catch, catching up with you next week when we move into the divisional round of the NFL football players. And do me a favor, if you would, tell Roz I said hello. Okay. And say the same thing to Colleen. And thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. And good luck this week. Thank you much, Jim. Thank you, Jim. Good luck. Bye-bye. That was Jim Feist joining us from Las Vegas. And with that, uh, I mentioned we're going to move over to our roundtable. But before we do that, uh, Andy, uh, Andy shared with me this week, and we put it in the Playbook newsletter, he wrote an outstanding article about the NFL football playoffs, and we borrowed it from him. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about what that article was. And it was concerning bye weeks in the National Football League playoffs. And, Andy, I'm going to give you the floor here. And let you run with this because there's a lot of interesting stats and facts that you laid out. You know, by the way, before we get to that, Mark, I did want to comment about uh, a little bit of what Jim said as far as coaches go. And we have a situation here in Las Vegas where uh, the Raiders will be looking to hire a permanent coach. Antonio Pierce certainly played well enough to uh, almost make it like a, a no-brainer decision to hire. And there's talk about maybe they don't want to go that route. They want to go for an established coach, maybe a Jim Harbaugh, maybe a Bill Belichick who may very well come available. <laughs> the concern I have... You know, Jim mentioned that the game passes these coaches by as they get into their 60s and 70s. And that's there's a lot of truth to that, especially the successful coaches who last that long. They tend to go with what has always worked for them. And so they're more reluctant to change. But I think also a lot of it has to do with as you get older, you slow down. You don't work as many hours. You're not able to focus as much as you were. I would think that the Raiders, as, as great of a coach as Belichick has been, although he has struggled in the last few years since uh, 
number 12 left. But I would think you would want to go young with a guy on the rise, with a guy like Antonio Pierce, who still has plenty of energy and probably a good 10, 15 years of that energy remaining. I'm, I, Jim Harbour is probably somewhere in the middle. I think he would be a decent hire. But uh, I think you have to – and Pete Carroll, you know what, he's 71, 72 as well. That, uh, although he's not he's, – he's very energetic for someone of, of – uh, Let's say our age, uh, that it, that you that you want to turn it over to someone who has a shown the ability when given the opportunity that Pierce has, and is young enough to still be able to make that energetic commitment, and also relate a lot more to the players that he's coaching than a coach who may be related to players who have been out of the league for 20 years. So I just wanted to offer that as a thought as far as anyone here uh, who with a ties to the Raiders uh, uh, might uh, be considering as well. Uh, as uh, Victor, far, before we do that, Andy, Victor, what's your thoughts on that situation with the uh, Raiders as far as the hiring goes? Antonio Pierce or should they look elsewhere? No, I agree. It's, uh, it is time for a younger guy in terms of that organization. So I, I would definitely stick with Pierce. Uh, so I'm in total agreement with Andy on it. It just makes so much sense. It does, yes. Okay, Andy, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say that uh, uh, with the uh, bye weeks, uh, we all wonder how important the bye week is in the playoffs. And, of course, when the uh, playoffs were modified in 1990, expanding the field – from 10 to 12 teams, uh, the top two seeds in each conference uh, got bye weeks, and the other uh, eight teams, uh, excuse me, the other uh, six teams, I guess it was, well, that would be eight teams that, uh, uh, yeah, from 12 to 10. So, yeah, the other eight teams uh, that did not get buys, uh, the two other division winners and the two wild cards from each conference would play uh, that uh, that wild card week. And so uh, in those uh, 30 years in the Super Bowl between 1990 and the uh, prior to the 2020 season, uh, all 30 Super Bowls played prior to that 2020 modification when they increased it by another two teams to 14 and eliminated the number two seed having a bye. At least one team has had a bye uh, in the Super Bowl that uh, did, that had a bye for that wild card weekend. In other words, at least one and sometimes both uh, Super Bowl teams at least was a number one seed or a number two seed. And in a number of those Super Bowls, uh, they were one, they, they were both ones and twos that faced off against uh, against each other. In 2020, the playoffs uh, were expanded from 12 to 14 teams, and I'm trying to remember exactly. Mark, you may have it more in front of you than I did as far as uh, the fact. I think, if I recall correctly, uh, it's now happened once where I, I want to say it was the year. Uh, where maybe Cincinnati, I don't know if it was the year when Cincinnati played the Rams, where they were both number four seeds, marking the only time that you did not have a uh, that you did not have a bye week team in the uh, Super Bowl. So that's a pretty remarkable record that shows how important that bye week is for at least one, if not both, of those teams. Yeah, great point, Andy. And in fact, I, re I recall that season; uh, it was rare to find two pure wild card teams playing in the Super Bowl. And now that since we've expanded the playoffs here, there's only a pair of bye weeks. By, by the way, excuse me, it was Rams yeah. and Cincinnati in yeah, their Super Bowl. It, they were both number four seeds. There you go. And as, as I was mentioning, now we only have two bye weeks, two teams, one each, as mm -hmm. opposed to four teams with bye weeks. So the probability of that probably diminishes as we move forward here with wild card teams. Uh, maybe not so much because there are seven teams in the playoffs because those seven seeds have never won a playoff game. But uh, just the fact that 
there's one less team that plays it on a bye week that perhaps maybe or may not make it to the playoffs. That all comes from Andy's excellent football newsletter, TheLogicalApproach.com. I encourage your listeners to check it out. Go online to TheLogicalApproach.com to find out what Andy Isco is all about. And with that, let's move over to our roundtable segment on the show this week. Our roundtable segment is being brought to you by our good friends at uwager.lv, where they feature Friday night minus 105 juice. It's still available, minus 105 juice on Fridays at uwager.lv. You want to save money on your earnings? Check out uwager.lv for minus 105 juice or log on at uwager.com. Give them a call, better yet, 1-800-U-WAGER. With that, I want to bring in our producer and good friend, Greg De Palma, into our roundtable discussion here on the show this week. Greg, how's everything going for you this post-holiday week? Well, you should know how I'm doing. <laughs> I know exactly how you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, it only took 30 years. But uh, championships, they don't seem to come around very often in, in under my roof. So I take them anytime I can get them. Uh, well, yeah, this is a great time of year, obviously. It's sort of similar to, I mean, I don't know what you guys think, but it, it kind of feels like the first weekend in March Madness when you have all the games and you have all the opportunity to watch as many a variety of games as possible. And as Jim was saying, there's so many good storylines coming out, but there's also some interesting, quirky things going on. Um, first of all, I don't think I haven't heard anything about this yet. Maybe you guys have. I don't know if this is purposeful, accidental. It seems like it's purposeful, but I noticed that they have the AFC games first and then the NFC games second. Now, I've never seen that before. Uh, and of course, you got the Monday night game as well. So I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Again, I don't know if this is an accident or they're doing this on purpose to have the first three games are AFC games, the last three are NFC games, and then, of course, also that playoff Monday night thing, which I know why they're doing it, but I'm not so sure uh, whether that's a great idea. Um, what do you guys think? Uh, how about the uh, the Miami-Kansas City game being available only on Peacock? I think that's the worst idea of all. There you go. Yes. Right. I mean, you can bet, you, and, and, and I'll tell you right now, I mean, that, that'll be a game that I'll be waiting until I get up the next morning. I'm not even going to watch it. I'll wait till the next morning and I'll just watch it on YouTube and I'll watch it just like I'm watching a recorded game. Yep. Well, I can thank God I subscribed to Peacock, but I don't subscribe to it for the football season. I subscribe to it for a series that way I really like. So I'll benefit from that way this week. But I think I agree with you. It's terrible that you would have a National Football League playoff game that would be available only by subscription to a streaming service. And that's sort of where this stuff is all running here with the National Football League and that greedy, big, greedy hand they have out there. And I kind of think it's only going to get worse. Victor, what Greg laid out here about these uh, the dynamics of the AFC and the NFC games being lumped together here, my first thought is it's probably more than anything geographics, uh, just where the teams are located, uh, the time slots that they have available and so forth. Do you find it to be – you think it's any advantage for that situation to occur like that? Uh, no, if anything, there's a, there's a disadvantage with so many of these AFC teams playing on a Saturday. They don't get the rest that the teams playing the next day will have, that additional day rest. So uh, I, I agree it's a weird quirk, and it seems like a little bit of a disadvantage. Uh, one more note on that uh, Miami game that you mentioned that is going to be streaming on Peacock. 
we're very, very fortunate uh, down here. I don't have Peacock, but there are two cities in which that game will be on normal, regular network TV, and that's the Miami market and the Kansas City market. But everybody else in the country will only be uh, able to view that game streaming on Peacock or perhaps traveling to their favorite bar or something like that. Yeah, and, and Peacock is a little weird, too, when it comes to, yeah. I mean, if, if you, because you have to deal with ads, so it's not like some of these other uh, networks, and also, especially if you want to watch it in delay. I mean, I tried watching, yeah. I think it was a, one of the Rutgers games, I think, and and I had to... Like you had to like fast. Like if you had to want to skip the 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 edge, you had to skip them. Like some sometimes I had to skip like a half hour in. It was just crazy. It was a crazy concept. It was just bad. I don't know why they set it up like that. And uh, and then they're going to do this for a playoff game. I think there's going to be a lot of fans that are going to be pretty upset if they've never been on Peacock before. Right, and streaming as you mentioned is anywhere from like oh five to fifteen seconds behind actual real time as well. And that could impact you know, <laughs> us guys who are doing our in-game wagering. By the well, by the way, when you're watching the game on your TV at home, that's also could be anywhere from 15 to 45 seconds behind. So I'm wondering yeah. if streaming is even further behind. And you're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. If you're watching the game on TV, uh, then then you have very little time to make an in-play uh, wager, even if it's a commercial time of, of 90 seconds to two right. minutes or whatever. Yeah, I'll, I'll go from my family room on, on my TV, from a direct TV, and I'll go into my office and put on a streaming, and I'll see a replay. It's not a replay. It's live. It's live on one network, and it just played on another network. So, you know, I think they need, they need to pick that up a little bit. I think it's a disservice you know, to us in our profession. Yeah, you know, even, even in sports books, uh, where I'll watch some games, you will see on two different TVs uh, a five to ten second gap between where the feed is coming from, from TVA and where it's coming from TVB, which is annoying. And, you know, a lot of people aren't aware of that. And so when I start telling them, hey, it's going to be about a 20-yard run, I'm looking at the one that has the earliest feed. <laughs> and they have people say, how did you know that? And eventually I tell them the uh, the answer so they can play that game with their uh, friends. As, as far as the scheduling goes, I don't know if it's deliberate or not, largely because in the AFC you have the uh, two AFC games on Saturday and then you have the uh, uh, the lone AFC game on Sunday, followed by the two NFC games, and then the NFC game Monday night. Uh, I was thinking initially that maybe it had to do with the fact that in this in this year's 17-game schedule, the AFC team was the team to host the NFC team, making nine home games for the AFC and eight for the NFC. But even that wouldn't make sense because you'd have a couple of these teams or a couple of these games where even in the N even in the AFC, the four teams that play on uh, Saturday will have an extra day of rest over the uh, two teams that play on uh, on Sunday. So maybe it had. A, I wouldn't think it would have to do with with stadium availability because a lot of these uh, stadiums are booked for the pro football uh, possibilities for the playoffs uh, months, if not a couple of years in advance, so that it wouldn't be competing with, for example, a concert or something that would be going on. So, uh, I'd, I'd be interested to hear if there's any reason other than maybe, um, TV equipment needing extra time to get from one location to another. But I, I did notice that same thing, uh, Greg, that it seemed very, very odd. Uh, and, uh, I would like to think it's coincidental more than deliberate. You know, from a scheduling aspect, guys, I thought it was a little bit unjust 
for the National Football League to put the Miami Dolphins on a Saturday game when they played Sunday night yeah. uh, the, the week before. Maybe you might find that during the course of the regular season, but not in the playoffs. There's no need to give a, an opponent an unjust rest advantage in a football game like that. So, yeah. well, especially when they they had three days to choose from yes. between. Now, the only thought would be, but again, you may not always know it until the final day is played. Is where some of those home games are going to be played because there could be sure. the number one, the number any of the seats could be determined, especially those of the uh, well, the one would have to be also be part of it. Two, three, and four who are going to host those games that may not be known until the final. For example, the uh, uh, if the Eagles had beaten the Giants and the Cowboys had lost uh, their game at Washington, all of a sudden Philadelphia, instead of going to Tampa Bay, is hosting a game as the number two seed, and Dallas would be uh, on on the road there. So uh, it, it's really somewhat surprising that they did make Miami, who played the last game on Sunday, uh, the isolated game, although it is only a few hours of a disadvantage, it's still a disadvantage. I remember for a number of years, uh, the regular season did include a final Monday night game. Uh, which was really a disadvantage if those two teams were uh, scheduled to play in a wild card round. Of course, even back then, you didn't have the ability to flex like you've had the last few years for the NFL. Right. I wonder whether or not this is a uh, message, maybe, to coaches in the future. Not that Miami and Buffalo didn't seem like they were playing hard, but almost, well, see, this is what happens when you don't win your division. So next time you go out there and play a division game, even though both teams are in the postseason, you better win your division or else you're going to get screwed with the schedule. Well, Miami knows that better than anybody in this year's playoffs. For sure. Yeah. that and, and really, honestly, I know it, it to me, I think it's surreal in a way where we're talking about this, this weather game, but it's like, yeah, okay. It's going to be real cold and all that. But until we actually turn the game on, I think it's going to hit us where it's like, I mean, these guys are actually playing, and it's like minus 20 out. I mean, it's going to be actually insane. You know, guys, I, I normally don't make a bet on Mother Nature. But, uh, in fact, I had no action in that Saturday game between the Steelers and Bengals, that final regular season game last week. But I tell you what, I turned that game on, like you said, and saw that uh, horizontal rain and wind in Pittsburgh. And seven minutes into the game, I finally had enough. I said, you know what, honey? I'm going to, for one of the first times in my life, bet on Mother Nature and play this game under 31 points, which was the uh, in-game yeah. in over-under at the time. After, of course, I went to my weather.com app and saw that it would be raining nonstop uh, in uh, Cincinnati all afternoon long. And for one of the first times ever, I actually just bet on Mother Nature. And, of course, I think they finished at 27 points, so it did go under the total. But uh, there you go, making a bet on Mother Nature. But, again, <laughs> but again, like Greg said, not till you actually see it in person or on television. Well, well you know, another – no, I was going to say, excuse me, another thing to think about that game, Baltimore doesn't have to worry because they've got to buy. But I wonder if playing in those conditions, being on mm -hmm. that field for three to four hours, if you might get some guys coming down with a severe cold or the flu from a Pittsburgh that uh, we might hear about later in the week. Well, what, what, you know, something interesting uh, that I found as far as weather is concerned, and I'm sure, Victor, you'll look into this when the game plays, but in Buffalo this weekend – they're expecting 25-mile-an-hour yeah. sustained winds with gusts of 50 miles an hour. Yep. And 22 be just as degree, bad. 
my goodness, five degrees, five degrees of uh, feels like temperature in that, in that game. My goodness. Now that's got to be an advantage. You would definitely believe with Pittsburgh because you know, Josh Allen, they want to throw the ball. I know they've been running the ball a little bit better, but anytime, I mean, we always talk about this. Anytime weather comes into play, it helps the dog. It helps the inferior team. They want the conditions to be different because they're not better. They're not more talented. And that's exactly what Pittsburgh's hoping for. And they're going to get it. So I got to ask especially, you guys, if, go especially ahead. with a 10, especially with a 10 point spread. Uh, yes. Buffalo be happy right. just to win the game. Yes. And then as far as I want to ask you guys, um, before I go, which game would you want to see the most? If you could only pick one game to watch, which would it be? And if there was one game that you 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 had to pass on, which one would it be? Well, I think uh, a must-see game. Looking at the card this weekend, and remember we're talking wild card, so you know we don't have an overwhelming card here. But uh, I'm going to be a little bit most curious to see what happens in this Kansas city, Miami game. I know there's a lot of reasons people are going to shoot holes at Miami and justifiably. So, but you have to also remember, this is not a vintage Kansas city football team here either. So I'll be curious to see whether or not Miami can take advantage of something like that. And the game that if it weren't on Monday night, the game I would at least want to watch would be Philadelphia and Tampa Bay. I would agree with that one. Philadelphia, Tampa Bay. Uh, there are probably going to be better <laughs> things to watch on Monday night. But you gotta love some of these plot lines in this Rams Lions game. That's my game yeah. of the weekend, man. Yep. I yeah. was gonna pick that one as well with Goff against Stanford, each going right. against their uh, their uh, prior teams. Uh, the Cleveland Houston game, I think, is also another one that has great possibilities. We talked about the coach of the year situation. We've talked about uh, what Cleveland has overcome uh, with all the injuries that they've had throughout the season to be here. We've uh, talked about uh, Houston uh, with what they've done with a rookie head coach and a, uh, uh, a rookie quarterback, a team that was not expected to even challenge for a wild card based upon their six and a half season win totals. So certainly, they see that. Uh, uh, that, that's a very intriguing game on many levels and could be a nicely competitive game. And, of course, I'll be interested also in that Miami-Kansas City game to see if our love of the under uh, materializes as uh, we expect. The, the thing you have to hope for in that game, no fumble returns, interception returns, or special team touchdowns. Well, one thing I also came across, guys, and we laid this out in the newsletter this week, is uh, how giddy everybody is in the Motor City about that football game. It's uh, the first time that they've had a playoff game uh, in – Ford Field, the last time they had one, it was only a hole. There wasn't even a hole there at Ford Field. It's been so long since they hosted a playoff mm -hmm. game like this. And they're saying that the ticket prices are like through the roof, uh, $16,000 for a, a real high-end prime ticket for that game. The get-in price is $527 for a ticket there. They're really pumped up, obviously, in oh. Detroit. Yeah, looking forward to that. And uh, also, and, and uh, Mark, you're going to have your uh, free pick, and – I think that game, uh, Green Bay and Dallas, is also going to be really interesting with the McCarthy storyline uh, and the fact that the Packers have just seemed to own Dallas's number uh, lately over the, over the years and the fact that the Cowboys have won 16 straight home games uh, and, and just the pressure that that team is going to be on to win a game uh, in the postseason. So I think that's going to be uh, – that's probably – I would think – I don't know what you guys think will be, but uh, – I don't think it's maybe a stretch to believe that that, especially with the Peacock game taking away Miami, Kansas City, that the Dallas Green Bay game is probably going to have the most viewers. Yeah, America's team. Everybody likes to watch Dallas. Uh, all the interest, like you said, good point with McCarthy there. You got 
Green Bay playing their best football of the season. Dallas erratic is all get out. Uh, I think it's going to be an interesting game. I'm going to have a little bit more to say about that yep. before we close out the show. Yeah, and of course, the, inter- the interesting thing with the uh, the Dallas- Green Bay's domination, a lot of that had to do with quarterbacks named Favre and Rodgers. Yes, so this did. will be interesting going with a – he's not – well, you know, he's, he's not really a rookie quarterback technically, Jordan Love, but his first full season as a starter. And then on the other hand, you look at Dallas and what they've done over the latter part of the season. You know, they were perfect at home, 8-0, but if you remember uh, – they, pl- they played a lot of soft teams at home this year. I mean, maybe the one quality team they beat, they had to hold, hold on for that one, was their 28-23 November win over uh, uh, Philadelphia. But remember the other games that they, they played late in the season? They struggled, had to come from behind to beat Seattle. And uh, then the game against Detroit that they were, let's say, somewhat fortunate to hold on and, uh, and win. So there's a little intrigue. You can, make a, you can make a compelling case for, I think, both teams in that game. And I think that that might be... Uh, to me, to me, that might be the most entertaining game of the weekend. It's being played indoors, so there won't be any weather to uh, to impact it. And you've got uh, these longtime foes who have uh, what close to uh, uh, I think combined they have close to a little bit under ten Super Bowl championships. Let me throw these two little notes out here, Greg, if I may, in this sure. roundtable before we move on to uh, all three of our complimentary plays. Uh, a couple of things that I came across when putting our playbook guide newsletter together this week. Uh, number one, which kind of jumped off the page at me, was the fact that Kevin Stefanski has played the AFC South 10 times. He's won all 10 football games. Uh, and sort of a non-playoff note, I heard this on NFL.com today and kind of made you fall off my chair a little bit. But remember, guys, when uh, the Washington Commanders traded Montez Sweat in that unloading of the talent that they did? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Montez Sweat led the Washington Commanders and the Chicago Bears in sacks this season. Yeah, might have saved Matt Urbaflus's job too. Yep. So exactly. good for him. And and uh, by the way, that's going to make Chicago, I think, maybe one of the most chic or most popular picks to go from out of the playoffs to into the playoffs come the off season. And I'm going to wrap it up with uh, some viewer comments uh, from over the past couple of weeks. Raj Thomas, great show as always. Uh, Jeff Todd, oh, this is the one that I I don't know how to pronounce his last name, right? You guys do. Kobe Asuk? Kobasha. Kobasha. I got to write that down. Kobashik. 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 All right, Jeff. Maybe I'll just forget the last name and go with Jeff Todd. Uh, (laughs) Brilliant, guys. Thank you for a fantastic season. Uh, Kevin, Ketcherside seems I'm I'm the only one that's noticed in these divisional matchup histories that a lot of these domination streaks end in seven or eight straight ATS covers. Uh, Is Kevin on to something? Well, they got to eventually end. And when you're pushing (laughs) seven or eight, you're sort of pushing the envelope there. Uh, And there's also, I think, a reason for that is you have a change of personnel, change of coaches. Right. And the situations change. So things are going to improve if you're on either side of a streak like that. I, I'm surprised that it is that long that he noticed that. If, I, if someone were to ask me how long would a typical series domination against the spread, we're not talking straight up now, against the spread last, I would say maybe four, possibly five. At some point, the lines maker takes that into consideration, and you have to play, uh, you have to pay a little extra price than if the teams had like split their uh, season series over the past couple of years. So the, the length of that seven or eight is truly surprising to me. Ernest Brooks, three, another great show. Many thanks, guys. Larry Kelly, it's been an excellent show and analysis each week. Let's close it out with a bang. John Putnam, 
Good as always, guys. Happy New Year, guys. And great patchaderm. Listening about past shows reminded me of the odds couple. It was oh, with boy. Mark and Sid Rosenberg. Why did oh, yeah. it go away? <laughs> well, I got to tell you this, Greg. That was really a rather good show that we put together. Um, Sid Rosenberg worked for a open sports down here, and they were they were kind of a, trying to become a huge internet company. The guy that founded it was the guy that founded uh, CBS Sports. Oh. And uh, so we did a show together, and we called it The Odds Couple because – Sid and I were about as odd as you could possibly be. Uh, he being a street guy and uh, uh, had a, a, a kind of a, a raunchy uh, way of putting things together. But anyway, we had fun on the show. We had a lot of fun doing the show. But he moved to New York City uh, for bigger and better things. He's now hosting a political show, one of the top-rated shows in New York City. But uh, thanks for the memories. I enjoyed doing that odds couple with Sid Rosenberg. By, by the way, Mark, uh, what was the theme music used? Was it what we would expect? On the odds couple? Yeah. Or did you or did you or were they charging too much to use the theme song from the odds couple? Da, 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 da. That's well, the one. Yeah. You know, I honestly I don't even know because when we were playing it, you know, they would they would all dub that in over afterwards and uh I, I never get to hear it, but uh uh that would probably be my be my vote for sure, what the, what it was originally, yes. All right, as I close out, just want to remind everybody we uh need to hit that six hundred subscriber mark. So uh, we still have a few to go. So don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. Not sure what you're waiting for. Uh, don't forget also to like and share the video if you enjoy what you see. Uh, and uh, check out uh, the RLEDS Football Network, the RLEDS Football YouTube channel. Uh, tomorrow, Mark and I are going to do our uh, annual NFL playoff preview show. Uh, Ryan Dunleavy from the New York Post joining us. So uh, the three of us will, will give our uh, – predictions and we'll go over the futures and everything else like that including of course the games this week on our playoff preview show that's tomorrow on the Arleds uh, football youtube channel so uh andy i'll let you kick things off with your pick of the week all right i'm gonna go with that ugly monday night game between tampa bay and philadelphia the eagles about a two and a half to three point road favorite it's a challenging handicap because you have to question which is more important current momentum or season-long form if you go with season-long form then you can go with philadelphia but if you go with current momentum you're playing a little bit on tampa bay but a lot against the uh, philadelphia eagles and i'm just going to give a couple of uh of facts here uh we all know that philadelphia got off to that 10 and 1 start they then finished one and five uh, down the stretch. Now, part of that stretch in the middle, they were playing back-to-back -back teams against, uh, uh, what was it? I think four straight playoff games uh, teams, I th uh, or maybe it was five straight. Yeah, five straight playoff teams. Dallas twice, I think uh, Kansas City, uh, Philadelphia, and uh, I'm trying to remember who the uh, the other one was that they played at Buffalo. Uh, and then uh, they played a little bit of a softie in Seattle, which turned out to be a loss. Uh, and then they uh, lost the season by playing the uh, Giants twice and the uh, uh, the Arizona Cardinals, losing all three, including that Arizona game at home, a team that finished 4-13. and 13. The Giants were 6-11. and 11. Uh, in, in going down the stretch, after that 10-1 start, Philadelphia was 1-5 straight up, 0-6 against the spread. They were outscored by 50, uh, 59 points in that stretch, 182-123. to 123. Uh, Compare that to Tampa Bay, 
they did have that nice upset. I think they had a three and one start, that nice win against Minnesota that everybody in the world seemed to have pegged over the summer that they were going to take the points with, uh, with Tampa Bay in that one. Uh, they ended up finishing the season nine and eight, but they finished five and one straight up four and two against the spread. Uh, they were plus 38 in those last six games four and uh, one thirty-six to 98. Now it was a very weak schedule that uh, Tampa Bay played down the stretch, but they were also in a division where they had two teams that they were challenging for the division title and also likely, and as it turned out in reality, the only team to make the playoff would be uh, the division winner with um, Atlanta and New Orleans also involved in uh, a race with Tampa Bay. Um, I don't like the numbers that the Eagles had down the stretch. Uh, there's, uh, in, in particular, I just sort of alluded to it, the fact that in playing those last three games of the season, after losing uh, those games that they had beaten, I think it was Buffalo, and then they started the losing streak. Um, I, I think they played Dallas and Buffalo. Uh, they won those games, and then they lost the next three games. Uh, I think San Francisco was in there as well. Um, but nonetheless, uh, or maybe they, I think they won at Kansas City, come to think of it. But the San Francisco was the loss that really started the, that they would have wanted to regain some sense of form early of their early season. And OK, yeah, you lose those games to those playoff teams and the nine and eight Seattle team. But then you're playing two of the weakest teams, one of a division rival twice. You would have thought that at least in one of those three games that they would show some of the form that they had. I think that San Francisco loss really took a lot of the confidence and they never really recovered from that. So I'm going to be on Tampa Bay. I'm going to take the three. I won't be surprised by the upset. I know a lot of people are taking a look and saying, gee, you know, Philadelphia is a better team. Tampa Bay was only nine and eight. And yet we have to lay two and a half or only three. It's got to be an easy winner. I'm not so sure about that. Philadelphia is the better team, but they're not playing like the better team right now. And that is so important. In fact, one of the things I look at is how does the team on the better streak entering the playoffs, entering the wild card round uh, uh, do? And in looking at the uh, wild card games that were played since 2002, there have been 84 of them, uh, excuse me, 90 of them now after last year's six, I added in there. Um, now, sometimes the streak were the same. They had either lost one in a row or three in a row or or uh, won four straight and, law, and the other team also won four straight. So in the games where they were coming in on different streaks, and there's only a difference here between one. Uh, the uh, uh, the Eagles lost their last two. Tampa Bay won its last game after losing the week before when they could have clinched the division title in New Orleans. The team on the better streak, we meaning more wins, uh, than the other team finishing the, se the regular season or one team winning at the end and the other team losing at the end. Those teams with the uh, uh, the better, I'll call it better momentum, uh, have done extremely well uh, in, uh, nine, in since 2002, the 21 seasons uh, since they uh, uh, revised the conference alignment, 49, 30, and 1. That's 62% against the spread. So it's not a great record by looking just at the winning streak of these two teams, two losses versus one win. But when you take a look at the other factors, the one and five for the Eagles, the five and one for Tampa Bay, I think you can support the fact that momentum does have a big impact, despite the fact that for most of the season, Philadelphia was by far the better team. Andy, I like your your play there. And uh, what it reminds me of is what I call my, the old tape job. You put tape over the names of the teams and look at the statistics. And you, then you look at the line and figure out what it would have been, especially if you chop the season in half and look at the second half of these numbers here. You'd swear Tampa Bay would be a six-point favorite in this football game. I think the the only, side, again, the only concern is the quality of competition. Yeah, I understand. Right, for but, sure. But whereas, whereas – 
Uh, Tampa Bay played a relatively easy schedule the entire way. Philadelphia played a very easy schedule at the time when they needed to play a very easy schedule the last three games. And the fact is Philadelphia didn't handle their schedule in the second half of the season. And I think the biggest factor in the game is the telltale sign to me is Philadelphia had a lot riding on that football game against the New York Giants last week, and they didn't even show up for the game. Uh, it cost them the NFC East division. Uh, they could have secured that division two times in a row for the first time in, what, 19 or 20 years. Right. But they just flat out didn't show up. There's something not right. And the they had two or three, and they had two chances the previous two weeks to lock up the division. Yes, they did. Yes, good call. I like that yeah. call. Yeah. Uh, l- let me share with our listeners out there real quick before I, I get to Victor's free play and my free play, our awesome angle of the week, if I may, on the show this week. I call it double trouble, and what we look to do is to play against any 500 or better NFL double-digit playoff dog in the wild card rounds. Just simple, double-digit dog, wild card round. You have a 500 or better record. You play against these guys. You, these guys, you do it because these guys are one in ten against the spread since 1990. Lost all 11 games straight up. That would be a play against the Pittsburgh Steelers, by the way. And with that, I'm going to hand, turn it over to Victor King from King Creole Sports for Victor's complimentary play on the show this week. Right, guys, and don't forget all of our over/under selections available at the PlaybookSports.com website. Our uh, shortcut, our website shortcut is pb.buzz forward slash VK for Victor King. And, you know, guys, for our free play, you know, one of the things I've been enjoying my new uh, Hard Rock Casino app on my telephone and betting on sports that way, uh, including a lot of the props out there. And our free play this week is going to be an individual prop play, but we're going to go to the very first game on the schedule, that Browns-Houston game in the afternoon, and we're going to take a look at one of the Browns' wide receivers, and I'm talking about Elijah Moore. This is the guy that they acquired for the New York Jets in the offseason, who's had a very good season for the Browns, particularly in the second half, and he's also one of Joe Flacco's uh, favorite weapons right now, and his uh, receiving yards total opened at 30 yards a couple of days ago, and I immediately slammed the over on that. It's up to about 35 right now. There's even some 36s, and that's for Elijah Moore receiving yards. We are going over the total in this particular one. I mean, on the season, he's averaged. yards, much, much better in the second half. Uh, Also, his splits are very, very revealing. He's averaging 9.0 yards per catch in his home games this season, but a full 13.5 yards per catch when playing on the road. And uh, it's no surprise, of course, that the Browns have gone over the total in every single road game this season. But check out Elijah Moore's numbers just in the last two months against the Jets, six catches, 61 yards against the Jaguars, six for 42 against the Rams, 12 catches for 83 yards against Denver, nine for 44 against Pittsburgh, seven for 60. And finally against Baltimore, seven for 44. He's actually lit up the uh, receiving room for the Browns as of late. 
And that's going to be our free play, an individual prop play on Elijah Moore of the Cleveland Browns, over 36 receiving yards. That is the current line as of Wednesday. Victor hitting the player props with an overcall on Elijah Moore for the Cleveland Browns in their playoff game. By the way, Mark, I don't mean to interrupt, but I want to mention, talk about Cleveland, you talk about the uh, passing game. If you break down the seasons into uh, four quarters, uh, passing yards uh, for for Cleveland, games one through four, 172 yards. Games five through eight, 196. 190 in nine through 12, and 13 through 17 with Mr. Flacco in there, 292 yards per game. Wow. wow, a dramatic difference there. I think Victor's on to something really nice there with Elijah Moore. Mm-hmm. Now, guys, I'm going to get to my complimentary play. This is being brought to you by our good friends once again at uwager.lv, where it's monthly 5% rebates on all your losses. You can get 5% back if you lose or anything that you lose on at uwager.lv. Check it out or give them a call toll-free at 1-800-U-WAGER. With that, my complimentary call on the NFL card this week. I'm moving on to Sunday with the Green Bay Packers moving into Dallas. We talked about it a little bit earlier on in the show. Green Bay playing with huge momentum here. Uh, Jordan Love playing his best football in his NFL career coming into this football game. The Packers have really had the money in this series here. The last four times they met Dallas, they've won and covered each of the last four football games in a row. They should not be intimidated. And, in fact, the Green Bay Packers in the playoffs, the last – 11 times they've been in the playoffs and they had a win percentage of less than 700. They're eight and three straight up and nine, one and one against the spread. The Dallas Cowboys, we know how they choke like a dog in the playoffs. They're just two and five to the money against playoff teams this year. I don't know why it would get any better here. They were minus 23 net yards per game against those fellow playoff teams this year. And in the playoffs themselves, go back to 1997, the Dallas Cowboys four and 12 straight up and against the spread. I think it's seven and a half points. The Green Bay Packers are a live dog in this football game. And that's going to put the final wraps in this edition of Mark Lawrence against the spread. I want to thank our co-host Victor King from King Creole Sports and our other contributing handicappers, Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com and our good buddy Jim Feist from Las Vegas joining us for the show. Greg DePalma, our producer. Until next week, once again, this is Mark Lawrence reminding you to always to remember to bet with your head, not over it. And good luck as always.